Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. And simple as that, we're live. This is exciting. I got to tell you, uh, when I was reading my notes, I, for everyone listening, I'm so excited to chat today with the guest. Uh, I, summary, he's just a freaking cool guy. Uh, a marketing leader, a best-selling author. I uh, wrote a, bo- a book about trade show success that we're going to talk a little bit more about later. He's a keynote speaker, a magician. He even holds a patent. He is the VP of marketing at Gong.io. Udi, how are you, sir? I am great, Casey. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on here. I know you're busy. You just had a, I think it was a trade show yesterday you were at. Talking it was about our there. first industry conference that we put together. So quite quite a big deal here. Oh, amazing, amazing. And the reason why we're chatting today is because it was some, I, I kept interviewing people and they kept mentioning Gong. They kept mentioning you guys. You guys are, you're, you're making waves in the industry. So I'm glad you're here. And so to start off the show, we're going to be talking about conversations. We're going to be talking about, I mean, this is our marketing leadership series, so strategies around conversation. Uh, so uh, to start out, I want to pass you this. And it's very heavy. So uh, two hands. This is Got Thor's it. hammer. Okay. So <laughs> go ahead and, and take that and uh, smash for me some kind of marketing. Can meat. I use my champagne bottle instead? I'll uh, smash that. Ooh, smash it with champagne. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Smash we're, we're all about celebration bottle. here. We're all about celebration here. <laughs> Uh, well, we'll know it's a good podcast if you're drinking that by the end of the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, Every single day. So what, what's out there? What kind of bogus strategy should we set the record straight on today? I think a lot of uh, marketers either feel it themselves or are pressurized into making their marketing strategy around their product and produce a lot of content around their product. And I think that's one of the causes of the bad rep that a lot of marketing organizations and executives get because they find themselves endlessly talking about their product. And that's just like going to a cocktail party and meeting someone for the first time and having them not shut up about themselves the entire evening. Um, That's not a really fun person to be around, is it? Right, right. Especially if you bring up a story and they kind of one-up you, you know, it's like the one-upper. Oh, yeah. I went. Uh, I climbed this mountain. Oh, I climbed two of those mountains. I climbed that twice. Like okay. And they go on and okay, on buddy. and on about it. Yeah. I'm gonna go get a drink. Uh, have a good party. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. yeah. So marketing. We're doing that now. We're 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 just talking about ourselves. We talk about our product and our company. Yeah. I mean, you you don't want to be around that guy or, or girl who's just talking about themselves all evening. Um, I think you know. There's a famous saying that you, you'll remember not what people said or did but you'll remember how they made you feel and and i think it's time the marketers took notice of that as well like what what are we making our audience feel um why would they come back and consume our content or visit our event or demo our product or take us on a test drive we we need to think about their their experience and that's where everything should start and finish um you know there's this famous cartoon i i use in some of my presentations which shows this like pretty basic venn diagram with one circle is what we're trying to say in another circle, what they want to hear. And it's that meeting point, that intersection between those two that, that makes amazing marketing. You start with what they want to hear, what they want to learn, what problems they want to solve today. And then you back in from that into something that your brand needs to say or wants to get across. That could result in great marketing. 
I think the problem is that most marketers start from the wrong end of the diagram, starting with what I need to say, what my yeah. CEO wants me to, to push out as a press release. And they end up with this boring corporate messaging that just talks down to people and, and no one engages. And then they're like scratching their heads. Why are people not sharing my posts? Why is my content not <laughs> going viral? Why do I have 73 followers on LinkedIn? And how do I grow from there? It's, it's about the messaging. Right. And then you blame, not, the, you blame the technology. Yeah, this Nobody wanted to click on this message about my brand new website that I was telling everyone about. Let's buy half a dozen tools that allow yeah. me to do bad marketing in a more efficient way. Yeah. Yeah. Let's automate this terrible messaging. By the way, no one wants to hear about the new website. You know, it drives me crazy. I still get, I actually got three emails recently about the same website launch. And the first one was bad enough. But they, oh, oh, by the way, it's coming. Oh, it's coming tomorrow. It's coming. I'm like, guys, I really. So I've got a story. I've got a story for you on that. (laughs) Tell me. I've got a story for you. Um, So I I knew that nobody cares about new websites. Um, You know, as as a marketer for about 15 or so years, I've I've launched quite a few websites at different companies. And usually, except the CEO and his wife, nobody cares that you launched (laughs) a new website, right? Yeah. And about a year ago, a little more than a year ago here at Gong, we launched a new website. It was part of our new uh, sort of brand launch. And I was thinking in the month coming up to that launch, I don't want to make this a non-event. Um, I think just announcing we have a new website is kind of boring. Um, but I, I want people to take notice. And, and I thought about what we could do. And uh, I'll make a long story short, the, the two two main ideas that I had around that was, one, support the online launch with an offline campaign Hmm. so uh, we're located here in the sf bay area and so to support the new website launch on the exact day that the website launched i had 150 posters go up in all five bart trains here in the bay area uh launching our new brand it was not about the website it was just our our new brand look and feel and we had a few versions of that creative but basically it was just sort of the hero image of our website with our uh website address of gong.io and, and we, we, we had that installed like 4 a.m. in the morning of our website launch on, on 150 train cars. And so that was one thing that we did. That's the second cool. thing that we did, um, I wrote an article. It's on my LinkedIn profile if anyone's interested. Uh, scroll back there. Uh, I wrote an article about the thought process around our branding and new website. And I offered my followers and, and readers who like found some joy in or interest in that story to share it on their LinkedIn profiles. And in return, we'd send them a personalized mug with our new branding and their name on it. Just a regular coffee mug with with our brand and name on it. And lo and behold, we had like dozens of people, uh, or hundreds, I forget now, sharing it on the day of the website launch. And looking at Google Analytics, we saw a clear 30% spike in traffic that week to our website as a result of that digital campaign that we ended up sending out a couple of hundred mugs to people who shared it for us. That's cool. And the offline campaign of all these people sitting on the bar train going, who is gong.io and right. typing that into their mobile. So we managed to make a non-event, what was yeah. essentially a non-event, like who cares, you launched a new website into something big that everyone noticed that week and that month and, and we're talking about for, for a long time. So. So that, that was sort of our way of thinking about how do we take something that's traditionally a non-event and, and make it an event. Right, right. And, and, and you're giving something in return, even if it was a coffee mug. I'm yep. down for a coffee mug. Um, that's People fantastic. loved it. Yeah. I'll share I, this I, post, then, sure. Yeah, there was a second wave of that campaign because a couple of weeks later, those mugs 
hit all the people who uh, who ordered them. And then they started unsolicited. They started posting them on LinkedIn, uh, showing I love my new gong mug and, and it's got my name on it. And, and so that was an unexpected second wave of attention wow. that we got just because we sent out this free stuff to people. Were they like fancy schmancy mugs or just like, no, like simple like, ceramic kind of? They were two ninety nine mugs. Don't tell nice. anyone. How did how did you get the the branded names on them on everybody? You can order them. Like there are a million websites you can do that. You can do you, that. You, like we supply the the logo or or forget what we put on. I think it was a logo, and then uh, you just give them an Excel sheet with all the names you want typed and their addresses, and and they're they're fulfillment houses that can do this. Right. Oh, cool. It was cool, it was cool. not a complicated campaign to pull off. We've we've done much more complicated campaigns than that. No doubt. No, that's fantastic. So what do you think is the difference? You know, back to the, the myth you were, you're, you're crushing there. It's not about your product. It's not about your company making either, either making it into, you know, a non-event into something, yeah. giving back. Um, what, what do you recommend for people if they're kind of stuck in that product company mode, how to get out of that? I think in B2B marketing, and that's really the area I can I can speak about. Um, I, I don't think I know enough about B2C marketing to, to help marketers a lot there. But in, in B2B marketing, everyone knows it's a long buying process. It's not, you know, you show up at someone's front door, you say, hey, I've got this uh, product. Will you please buy it? Um, yesterday at our conference, uh, Jeffrey Moore, who's the best-selling author of uh, Crossing the Chasm and a whole bunch of yeah. follow-up books, uh, he, he made a great analogy. He said, imagine you went to the doctor and he said, hey, I've got this great drug. You want to try it? No, he'd first like diagnose you and ask right. you what your problems are and show me where it hurts. And then he'll diagnose and, and give you like the right medicine. So, so many marketers are just thinking about it the wrong way. They're like, I've got this great drug. You want to try it? Here's my product. I don't care what your problems are, but you've got to try this new product. So I think that's what a lot of marketers and, and salespeople are, are doing wrong. Um, and in B2B marketing, I mean, those have been doing it well for long enough, know that it's it's a long process. You need to invest in the buyer's journey. And by that, we mean provide them with solutions to their problems, sometimes over months or years before they're ready to buy your product. You, you need some patience for this. Right. And by really understanding your buyer persona, whoever it is, it could be a, a DevOps person, it could be a sales leader, it could be a marketing operations manager, understanding what their needs are, and then systematically solving their problems one after the other. And it mm. can have nothing to do with your product. It could be your content. If someone is struggling with managing a project, give them a template to manage that project. Give them the team briefing cheat sheet of what they need to do. Uh, recommend 10 other tools besides yours that are not competing. I'm not asking you to go crazy, but give them the right. 10 other tools that could help them manage that project. And then they'll keep they'll start coming back to you because you're solving their problems. You've now proven that you're a confidant, a consultant, someone helpful that's going to help them get through this. And then when they are finally ready to buy a product like yours, and that could be six months from now or 24 months from now, they'll go, oh, those guys, they've been helpful like along this entire journey. Those are the ones I want to go to and check out first when I'm ready to buy. Mm -hmm. So instead of you know shoving your product in their face, why don't you say, okay, here's a cookie, here's a piece of cake, here's avocado toast. Okay, come back to me when you're ready to actually <laughs> buy something. And they will. That's it's right. it's it's that easy, but but so few teams get it right. You know, I'm I'm planning to do a, a trip next year, climb Mount Kilimanjaro, and um, there's all these questions about Tanzania, about climbing a really tall mountain, and there's this one worldwide trekking. Their their videos on YouTube are fantastic. Every little mini question you've ever pondered: Should I take high altitude um, medicine? Should I do this? 
Um, what do they do about bathrooms? Like every single question has a video where it's explained. And to your point, long before I was even shopping that I'm actually going to do this, it was intriguing. And it, and it really, it solved all of my, my questions and my, you know, oh, I don't know. Is this going to work out? Yeah, they just sort of address. And, and, and you know where you're going to know when you're actually ready to hire that guide or mule or, or yeah. buy an equipment or whatever that website is selling. You know where you're going to go because they've yeah. already given to you. I mean, this is this is one of the, the basic sort of pillars of persuasion that Robert Cialdani talked about in his you know, groundbreaking book, um, Influence, many years ago in the 80s. Uh, this was number one. It was reciprocity. He said, you give before you ask. So before you ask someone to buy your product, give them value. I mean, it's that simple. It's just human courtesy. You, you give before you take, you give before you ask, and, and people get it. That's a social interaction people are comfortable in. So many sales and marketing people are all about the ask that they forget that's not how human interactions work. Right. I love that human courtesy. Yeah. It's right? It's just it's, be it's a all good it is. person. Yeah. Yeah. That's all it is. What, what do you, what kind of content do you, are you doing you know with gong what, what kind of you know early stage and do you have them in different stages do you sort of sort sure. it by that or how do you approach it sure so very early on at gong we i sat down with my ceo i mean bendov who who is it's a privilege to work with because he was a marketer for 20 years before becoming a ceo so he gets it unlike yeah. many ceos are like just make my logo bigger he gets it <laughs> it's not right. about how big your logo is it's not right. even about what the logo looks like or if you have a logo it was about how are we going to solve problems for our future buyers? And just another factoid on that, um, Amit brought me on as, as our first marketing hire a full year before we hired our first VP of sales. Now think about that for a minute. How many companies start their marketing a year before oh. they start their sales? That says something about understanding the buyer journey and the need to build a brand and create demand for the product. So when you bring on your first VP sales, he has a healthy pipeline to work with. Right. Um, but that was a side story. So back to our content strategy. Very early on, we were thinking, okay, what can we do to solve sales leaders' problems? Because that is our buyer persona. And we saw that we are sitting on a gold mine of data. And that data is real life recorded sales calls from our customers. At that time, we had I think less than a dozen customers, but they already had several thousands of calls recorded in our database. And we saw that if we take that data in an aggregated and anonymized way without you know, compromising anyone's privacy, we could start reverse engineering patterns of calls that seemed to work for closing deals and calls that were not working for closing deals. And we thought, well, that would make some interesting content for sales leaders who have these daily arguments on should you ask this many questions or that many questions? Mm. Should you start with this topic or with that topic? Uh, and how to conduct a discovery call and how to conduct a demo call and how to run the entire sales process. We have data that can tell us the factual answer to those questions and no one else has this. So we started digging, we had our data scientists dig into this data. It's, it's yeah. a big pile of data. And they started surfacing insights and they, they, they came to us and said like, would this make an interesting story? Cause we, we told them what we we're trying to do. And I'm like, hell yeah, this is going to be really interesting. And then we started seeing what is the, the golden ratio of talk versus listen time. Mm. If you're curious, it's about 46% of the time you should be talking and everything else you should be listening. There's a reason we got two ears and one mouth. If you use them in that ratio, you'll be fine. <laughs> and then we, we, we saw what was actually the optimal number of questions. I think it's four to 11. So if you ask anything less than that, you're not engaging enough. If you ask anything more than that, you're giving the feeling of being on an inquisition. So 
there's a certain range of questions that is actually optimal for moving that deal forward. And, and we kept finding these golden nuggets of yeah. things that actually work. And then we started publishing them. Uh, literally on my first day at Gong, I, I pulled together a few things, published an ebook of like the five pitch and, pitching secrets of something uh, with these five factoids that I found. And people started downloading it like, whoa, this is going to work. And for the last three years, that has been our North Star of our content strategy, publishing these tips that are based on real life data. And sales leaders and professionals are just gobbling it up. And, and we keep releasing this almost every week. And we, we started uh, our, first our blog series, which we call the Gong Labs series. And that took many forms over the years, not just as a, a blog series, but as a video series and live talks. And uh, for a while, we were doing a live LinkedIn show, which we've uh, uh, taken off the air for a couple of weeks. And we're relaunching in a new format in a couple of weeks. And, and th this has been the... the the core of our content strategy for the last three years. You just need one good idea and then just ex execute on right. it and people still love it. Yeah. The, you, you have such a treasure trove of all of that data. I think it's such the wild West for everyone else. You're like, well, it's our top sales guy or gal. He gets on the call and I don't know what they do. It's magic. And yeah. meanwhile, this other person isn't doing well. And then how do you coach them? Hey, make more phone calls, but maybe you're just not asking enough questions on that call. Exactly. Uh, one way I like to look at it is that, that technology like gongs helps sort of uncover the science behind the art of sales. There, there's still those two components and there are many ways of winning a deal. And, and we're not trying to clone people into, you know, robotic versions of, of one thing that works. We're trying to let everyone use their tone of voice and style and, and their own words. But there are some universal truths that work. Right. If you talk for 90% of the time, you cannot expect to advance that deal. It's just not going to work. <laughs> we haven't seen that ever work. And, and there's some truths that are not universal, but specific to your team. Mm. Uh, one, of our, one of our customers, they sell a point of sale system for restaurants. And uh, their, their two main product components are software and hardware. And after about six weeks of using Gong, Gong surfaced an insight that those reps that were leading with their software components we're closing about 30% more deals than those leading with the hardware components. Mm. And that was a very easy fix for them to do and something they would have never caught on to or likely never caught on to if they hadn't had the data that Gong surfaced. And now their team is selling a lot more overall because they know what works for their team thanks to this technology of revenue intelligence. So That's amazing. Yeah. How, does, how does it work? It, it, it's able to listen and record the calls and then you turn that into text and then you're able to your magic data science or how does yeah that, that's pretty much it um yeah. the, the way the way revenue intelligence works is it captures all of the customer facing conversations whether they're on video calls like we're having now on zoom audio uh -huh. calls using any phone system even emails and face-to-face -face meetings can be captured by gong i, I won't bore you with the technical details wait, wait, wait. how, you how really do you do the face to. by face do you have to wear Google um, glasses or does it no just... it's way easier than that we have a mobile app you hit a button and it records our meeting and then it voice separates the meeting understands everything we said uploads that ah. to the gong cloud and within five minutes i have everything analyzed it's that simple you, you wow. click a button that's all you do no fancy equipment, no nothing. You just click a button and, and it, it does everything for you. So it captures, that's step one, captures all of your customers' conversations with your team. Two, it analyzes and understands them. And three, it surfaces insights and personalized recommendations on what each of us could be doing better. So you could say, hey, Udi, 
great talk, uh, great talk right now with Casey, but you spoke like 76% of the time. For Mary sure. on your team, who according to your CRM is selling a lot more than you, she always uh, keeps it below 50% of talk time. You may want to try that on your next call. And and now next wow. call, what am I going to do? I'm going to keep it lower. And and we see Gong users usually start like me with like an 80% talk time, and then they'll trend downwards as they're using the system, and it guides them how to lower their talk time. That's just yeah. one example of, of many things you can improve. No, I'm guessing we call it technical because I'm intrigued. Though it sure if if you've got a sales uh, person on a cell phone. Can you not track that or are there ways to track all the There are complexities and differences between Android and, and iPhone. iPhone makes it very difficult to record okay. calls. Um, so that is not a, a full offering that we have yet. Um, if you're using pretty much any other phone system, whether you're using like a, a corporate system like a, a Fuse or AirCall or, or a, a Ring Central or any one of those sure. systems, uh, we'll connect to it and we'll, we'll take all the calls ourselves. If you use any form of video conferencing, everything from Zoom to BlueJeans, GoToMeeting, WebEx, anything else, we'll connect. And you don't have to click anything because we crawl your calendar. We see all the meetings where you have a, a link to <laughs> Zoom like we have right now. And we jump in and, and we join the call as a silent participant. That's our patented technology. Oh, and and we'll, we'll record the call that way. You can kick it out and it's it's full consent and you, you can see it's there, oh, but, okay. but you don't have to do anything to get us on the call. So we'll just take all those calls and they'll be waiting for you in Gong and we'll surface those insights as soon as we have them. Wow. The shit works, man. Yeah. No, I, 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 I can tell it works because you, you have these insights that immediately can change performance of that phone call. Hey, stop talking. Or... Not as much, right? Politically correct. Talk a little bit less next call. Stop talking. You're stop being a motor mouth. Um, and and there, also ask the, questions. The, yeah, and and there's some there's some amazing things that we found that that are counterintuitive. I mean, one of the things that we looked at that just common wisdom things that have a big effect on on sales call is what's called filler words. So you know, every mm. one of us has them, um, and Gong can can identify and count them and and analyze them for you. So you know, a lot of people say you know like 20 times in a call. Other people will say like, or uh, everyone has their own filler word. Um, it's a good exercise to see if, if you can recognize yours. Before Anyone else can tell you what your filler words are in case you don't know. Anyone who's <laughs> been on a conversation, we can tell you. So we, we've analyzed this with Gong and uh, we had our data scientists look and see what the effect of how many filler words you use or how often you use them, what effect that has on deal closing. Uh, because a lot of sales coaches and, and ma sales managers focus on reducing filler words with their salespeople. So we thought okay. this would be really interesting to understand what the data says on the true effect of this on uh, closing deals. And to our surprise, the effect is about zero. There is no effect. You can use any amount of filler words in a conversation, and that just has no effect on your chances of closing that deal. And that in and of itself was a very interesting story to publish to tell sales coaches and managers and enablement people, stop wasting your time and reducing filler words. It's really hard to do, and it has no effect on your deal closing. Just yeah. stop that. Let us show you where to take your time and resources and focus on something that does matter. It's like so a red was, herring. Yeah, you just put some sales trainer out of it. That was super interesting. I, I, yeah. I loved it when we found that that has no effect because everyone else thinks the exact opposite. I think it's, it's important, too, that some of your data is showing that no, there actually is no correlation because if you just had nothing but correlations, you might wonder, you know, are these statistically significant? Right. What are we talking about here? But 
in some cases it doesn't matter and it's great to be able to show and to your point a zero result for that test actually was a result which meant yes no actually this it's not stop focusing on it there's other yes. things to work. sometimes the story is that there is no story in that test. right right Brilliant. unless it's your website in which case we're going to make it a story. <laughs> yes <laughs> yes that so, can definitely be a story question as a marketer um how do you leverage all these gains that sales is gaining from understanding how to do a better call, understanding better dialogue. Are you, are you able to extract some takeaways from the same information? Sure. Uh, there are a lot of things that we can do uh, just by capturing your customer conversations. I mean, this is not just something that's useful for sales, but anyone, not even everyone in a customer, not, a, not, not only people in a customer facing roles, but even as marketers or product marketers or customer success teams, they can make a lot of use of capturing and analyzing and understanding customer conversations because when you start understanding, okay, how are customers talking about your product? How are they yeah. talking about your competitive differentiation? It's usually very different from what you think uh, it is or what you want it to be or what you're trying to force the market to do. Um, you're just getting that unfiltered information. Okay, this is what they really think about me and this is what they really call that part of the product or their part of the day, let's start using those words instead of the ones yeah. we're trying to force them to use. And suddenly the conversation becomes a lot more heated and, and warm because you're talking their language and, and they sense that, you know, it's just like you go to a foreign country. If you can speak even a few words in the local language and you use them, people are going to be a lot friendlier because they see that you're trying, you're making an effort and you're trying to take that extra step to speak their language. And it's exactly the same thing with your customers. Yeah. Okay. If you start speaking their language and showing that you understand their lingo and how they conduct their day, and you're not coming down, you know, from your high pedestal with these uh, <laughs> jargon words that your product team worked so hard to make up, and you're trying to force them on the market, just use the damn words they're already using to describe right. their own life and problem and job. It's going to work way better. So we get to do that in marketing because we know exactly what our customers are saying on hundreds of calls every day. So we've got millions of calls in our database now. And we can surface how they describe things about their jobs. How do they describe what they're looking for in a product like ours and, and where they see our strength and where they see our weaknesses. And, and we can just form how we're talking about it that way. Right. So not only just the, the global trends, but understanding specific words they're using is the, the words are highlighted. You start seeing things bubble to the surface. A lot of people keep using these words. And so I, I love that you're saying use their own language. Don't, you know, invent something, you know, yeah, I, I mean, it's okay to sometimes, you know, you want to invent a term and, and sort of instill that in the market. That's sure. fine. You can do that in a thoughtful way, but sometimes it's just not worth fighting the market and, and in any case you know before you make up something and decide you want to change something which is always really hard market education is always hard if you're trying to make up a category or a totally. term or something it's really hard you'll want to really get the lay of the land before you do that and see what customers are already saying what are they already using maybe you can use that maybe you want to change something but do it in a thoughtful way once you really understand what's going on first did you have to do that with gong i mean the idea of the intelligence and the listening and the yeah, How did you I mean, position it? I mean, yeah, we we've been uh, we've been um, what's the word I'm looking for? We've been positioning ourselves in one category for a while. That was conversation intelligence, and and we needed to understand how people were thinking about technology like ours and what other companies were operating in a space with that name. And then recently, we decided that we want to switch for several reasons 
to a new category. And, and that's just a big headache for the entire company, especially for the marketing team. Why would you want to like change the category that you're right. in? And, and we had some valid reasons to do so. And we did some serious research on what the new proposed category, which is now revenue intelligence, what that means to people and what other companies are operating in that space and how we would differentiate from th those companies who would immediately consider us competition to them. Right. Um, which which happened, of course. You know, we just launched our category yesterday. Already had CMOs of other companies in that field sort of commenting, and you could you could feel <laughs> them sweating. You could feel them sweating in, in those posts because they, they suddenly feel in danger. Suddenly, this big brand mm -hmm. like Gong is is entering their territory. Uh, we're not going to compete against them. We, we have very different offering. We, we our products is for a very different audience. But just to see that knee jerk reaction of of other neighbors in the space sweating when they see you enter their category. That's something you need to be thoughtful about and, and consider all the implications and is it really worth it? Um, and, and you can do that when you're you know, listening to customers and understanding what, uh, how they're talking about the space, how they see your value. It's not always how you see your value. Um, I'll give an example from another company I worked for about 10 years ago at Kanaya. Uh, we were pitching the value of our product as it cuts half the time and half the effort and half the risk of your next ERP upgrade project. That was like the, the big value proposition. And mm -hmm. as we were interviewing customers, and back then we had very primitive technologies to record and understand what customers were saying, uh, it quickly became clear that those parts of our pitch of the value proposition is not how customers describe the value that they got from, from Gong. Actually, they describe the value they got from Gong as peace of mind, knowing that their ERP go live is going to be a non-event. And that reshuffled our thinking about, okay, how do we take that sentiment and explain that to new customers? Because we want to make sure that if they talk to us and if they talk to reference, they're getting the same story. We can't be pitching A when real customers are pitching B about the same product. So if you're not listening to your customer conversation and not using that information in a meaningful way to attract new prospects or fix problems that you might have, you're not doing your job really. Yeah, it's not going to resonate because it's not, and they may not buy, they may not listen, they may not anything because it, it's a miss. I, I got an email the other day. Um, so, you know, my company does marketing automation, Pardot, Salesforce. I got an email the other day. The first line was, uh, so you're a, you're a PPC agency. So, and I was like, what? <laughs> no, I, I didn't read the rest of the email. I'm like, this isn't for me. You didn't, you didn't target me properly. And whatever else you have to say probably doesn't fit because that's not who I am. So I'm not just segmentation, but I love you know, that concept of just listening to what they're saying, using their language and doing the research there for sure. Absolutely. But amazing. So conversation, revenue intelligence. I love this, all the different kind of words. On conversation, I, I see a lot of this happening more. We're paying more attention to the phone calls that are happening, the Zooms that are happening. I see chat coming out of nowhere where it was in B2C for a long time, but now B2B, suddenly it's cool again. It seems like we're talking a lot more to our customers or at least giving it more credence than we, we used to. Do you, Is this a, just a bigger trend or what do you think is happening? It, it is. Um, Jeffrey Moore talked about that yesterday at our Ooh. Celebrate 19 conference um, about how he's seeing companies changing, especially in the enterprise space. And if you look at some of the legacy companies who build amazing companies, SAP and Oracle and Microsoft and companies like that, um, they're finding it really hard to catch up with the buyer experience that buyers expect today. And if you look at companies like Drift or Gong or um, I've, I've got lots of good examples of, of sort of modern B2B companies that are providing an amazing 
buying experience, you'll see sure. that a lot of the experience they extract from what we previously considered a B2C experience. It's just like you said, when when uh, when you now call your utility provider or, or uh, go and buy something online, you're expecting an Amazon experience. You're yeah. expecting an Apple experience. You're expecting that white glove treatment that really cares about you and values your time and doesn't abuse your patient and doesn't make you wait 45 minutes online for anything. Right. And we're taking those new habits that Amazon has helped us form and Amazon and, and other companies like Apple and Google and, and so on. And we're now going to our B2B providers and we're expecting that same experience. Mm -hmm. So what if you're SAP? I don't want to wait 45 minutes uh, like in your knowledge base looking for an answer. I, I want to be able to either talk to someone live on a chat right now or pick up the phone and have someone answer within 30 seconds. Right. And that's forcing those companies to rethink how they communicate with their customers. So it is definitely a part of a, of a bigger trend that um, the B2B world is just one step behind and, it, and it's an increasingly smaller step behind um, the B2C experience that we've all come to expect by now. Yeah, I just, I mean, just the other day I was traveling early in the morning and I needed a hotel kind of last minute. And I called one of those, you know, hotel chain help desk that you normally can rely on. And they're like, we're closed. We don't open until seven central. I was like, closed? <laughs> I'm talking about closed. Like, uh, exactly. Just, I was, can you imagine Amazon being closed? Yeah. Sorry. You can't order that thing right now. You got to come back in, you know, in eight hours. Exactly. It it's just crazy. doesn't make sense anymore. It doesn't make sense anymore. We're, we're used to, to consuming a product or, or a piece of media, like a movie on Netflix or, or anything just on demand right now. And, and that expectation has crept into all of our other buying experiences. We, right. we no longer have patience to wait 48 hours for a product to be delivered, let alone like sure. uh, delay that gratification of ordering it right now. And, and everyone needs to catch up, including B2B. You know, it really is magic. I ordered some new, uh, some new uh, dumbbells the other day, and they're going to be here today and free shipping. You know, there's like multi like 60 pounds and just it's just gonna magically show up at my door it's it's incredible what a time to be alive right i know and then you go and you shop for some b2b software how how does marketing keep up with that b2b marketing how do we keep up and, and adapt with uh, i think with i think it's it's a three-part process how do we keep up the first thing is just just like with marketing strategy and everything else um, being attuned to the right concept and idea of, of what am I trying to accomplish. And if, if I'm trying to create a delightful buying experience, then from that, two things will follow. One of them is my tech stack, and the second is my process. That is it. Like Decide what kind of experience you want to provide, and then get the process and technology in place to support it. Of course, people are also a big part of it, so you might want to add that as a this third component. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really it. So we, we are constantly testing the latest and greatest in uh, MarTech and sales tech products that claim to be able to help us to provide a delightful experience. And, you know, some tools work for us. Others might work for others. Uh, we take the ones that work for us and, and we weave them all in together. And today, if you go to our website, um, there's a good chance you can complete scheduling your own live demo with a product specialist in about 30 seconds from the moment wow. you hit our website. And you can do that in multiple ways, whether you're a guy who likes filling out a traditional form, we've shortened that to a single field, just give us your email and we'll let you schedule your demo. Or if you don't even like that and you wanna uh, talk in the live chat, just open that chat window if it doesn't jump at you, ask your question and you'll see within seconds you can schedule your demo. And that's the type of experience that 
is not only delighting customers, it's actually really good for business because we're getting hundreds of demos scheduled every month using these technologies. And yes, they, they need some work on the back end. You, you need really smart people who know how to put together these pieces of technology that none of them really provide an end-to-end -end solution, despite whatever they tell you in their marketing. <laughs> none of them provide an end-to-end -end solution. You have to tie a few magical things together, but when it works, it is like magic. It provides a magical experience. That's what we expect. We just talked about Amazon and the magical experience that they provide you. Why doesn't B2B provide more magical experiences? When, when did you last hear someone raving about how much they love their CRM system? <laughs> right. Never. Why, why is that? What, I mean, or buying yes, that it, new it, marketing software, like, oh, oh, they're going to call exactly, me and they're right? going to get all these demos and they're, they're, not, they're speaking over my head. Yeah. Why, why not? Why don't we all agree to just make these magical experiences and delightful experiences and make it easy and, and not just promise how good it'll be once you actually use the product, but let's make it good from the moment they hit our website. Right. Let's make it delightful from that moment on. And it's, it requires like dedication and work and resources, but I think they're really worth it. I think it's powerful that you said that the, the three different or even four different parts is that you need to have that goal, the strategy. Where do I want to go? Where do I want to take this? Is it a delightful experience? And then you're putting in process and the tech as well. Not just like, let's go immediately for the tech. And then you may have this disjointed process. You may have this tech that serves an amazing customer experience, but if you don't use it right, then. Exactly. I mean, there, yeah. there are at least, you know this, you're in MarTech. There are at least 5,000 MarTech tools. I'm probably not even right. updated on the number. So, yeah, it might, it might be 10 times that. Yeah. There are at least 5,000 MarTech tools out there. Um, I, I'm, I'm in several, you know, Facebook and LinkedIn and WhatsApp groups of marketers. And, and almost every day someone asks, uh, so what tool are you using for chat or what tool are you using for forms? I, I never answer those questions because I think it's the wrong, it's the wrong question. Yeah. What does it matter what tool I'm using? Tell me what problem you're trying to solve. And if I know enough about it, I'll explain to you how we solve that. But the tool is not going to solve anything. Right. It's me telling you what tool I use for chat is not going to solve any of your problems because your problems might be very different from the problems I solved with that tool as just one part of that whole solution that I was trying to create. Right. So, I mean, tell me what your marketing problem is. I might be able to help you think about it. And, and if it's similar to something I've solved, I may have a, a complete solution to describe to you, but I might at least share with you how, how I'm thinking about it. But telling you what tool I'm using is not going to solve anything. Wouldn't that be awesome if marketers started doing more and more of that just on those boards and posts? Here's a problem I'm encountering. Anyone got an experience to share around this? There yeah. you go. There you well, go. Sure. you know, this is what I did. Here's what happened afterward. Draw your own conclusion. I just go blindly buy this thing because some stranger online told you to. So, you know, we're, we're trying to, to do our share. Um, we, we recently published a case study with a couple hmm. of the vendors that we use Um I think if you go to the Clearbit website or the LinkedIn page, just search for Gong Clearbit, you'll, you'll find a case study that we explained how we use Marketo Forms, Chili Piper Scheduler, Clearbit, real-time enrichment, and we, we sewed all those things together into this wow. Frankenstein that actually works. Um, so we try and do that. And then when folks ask me, so how do you do the magical forms? I'm like, okay, here's a link to the case study. Just go read it and then come back to me if you have questions. Oh, now I get it. So this right. is not like a, a two sentence explanation. It's like a, it's a two or three page case study that explains what we did there. And that's just high level. So solve complex problems. Sometimes there, there's a complex solution, um, but it can't be answered with what tool are you using for chat. Right. It all starts with the question you're trying to answer. You know, start if you can ask that the right way. If you what can are you trying question, to change? Yeah. Your, what your answer will be as good as that question will be. Exactly. 
exactly. So this is fantastic. You clearly have treasure troves of data in the marketing world from all the, the gong insights. Like, who are you? Where did you come from? Did you always know you're going to be in marketing? Like, take us back, like little God, no. days. Who knows they want to be in marketing? Uh, <laughs> well, I've, I recently heard of at least one CMO. I think it's uh, Ryan Bonici from G2 who was interviewed and said he, he always knew he wanted to be in marketing. Wow. Um, I don't think I knew that. I think I always, I always knew, which is maybe almost the same thing. I think I always knew I would be in a people-facing role. Um, I, I was born and raised in Israel. Um, oh, cool. So most of my years I've spent there, but not all. And um, as a child, I was uh, sort of in the performing arts, both on stage and behind stage. I've done everything from um, play the music scene at, at weddings and hotels as a pianist. Uh, oh. I now take jazz lessons and, and play with jazz ensembles. Uh, to being a, a stage illusionist and magician uh, performing on, on television, national television in Israel and, and malls uh, during like kids' holidays doing magic shows. Huh. And that, that was some of the front stage stuff that I did. Behind stage stuff, I, I did stage lighting and sound and, and uh, just love everything about the, the theatrical world. And... Um, I guess that that could have given me a hunch that that I need to do this sort of people-facing role. I need that interaction with creating an experience for people, if you want, whether I'm on stage or or behind stage. Um, so so I've I've felt that need and passion very very early on, and you know to this day when when I get an opportunity to get on stage and talk about whatever, either marketing or Gong or, or sales or whatever I do. Uh, I, I have a magical moment like that, that I'm, ex- yeah. I'm creating an experience for the audience. I'm sharing my knowledge. Um, they either paid money for tickets to sit there or just even spent an hour of their day listening to what I have to say, um, which I really, really appreciate. That's, that's an amazing experience. And sometimes it's even bigger than that. Like yesterday, we put on a full industry conference for hundreds of people who paid a lot of money to come and listen. And, and we got these amazing speakers who trusted their brand with ours to come and, and be part of our conference. You know, people like coach Steve Kerr and, and Jeffrey Moore and Patty McCord, who was head of people at Netflix and amazing people like that. Nick Meta, the CEO and founder of Gainsight, they all came on our stage and talked about their experience and, and tied their brands with ours. That's, that's quite a moment that we had yesterday. And uh, I think it really goes back to that primal experience of whether I'm doing magic tricks for family or playing at a, at a friend's recital, um, create those experiences for people and just be a part of a memorable moment that you create for them, uh, which is yeah. something I've always enjoyed. hundred percent. I'm with you. I mean, I share with you earlier, I, I did magic too. When did you start? When did you get into it? Was it early on? Oh, I think I was about eight. And do you know why? Do you know why? You do I know? Do I remember why? I think it was just either watching, you know, kids' birthday parties, other magicians, okay. or or on TV. It was one of the two that I really became infatuated with magic and uh, creating that unexplainable magical experience for people while doing some trickery or sleight of hand in the back. Nice. Um, I just I love that sort of two part experience that I know what's going on but I'm creating this seemingly magical experience for others and like, whoa. And, you know, even grownups, except the very, very cynical ones among us, they yeah. still enjoy that magical experience and, you know, go to any Vegas hotel and see that they've got a nightly magic show. There's a reason they're still popular. People really love that magical experience of, of seeing something they can't explain, being delighted and, and knowing that they're being tricked 
but but in a way that creates a, a wonderful experience. Did you ever go to any magic conferences or do any shows in the U.S.? Um, I did not. No, I was living in Israel at the time. Yeah. Uh, this was right after we got back. Uh, I relocated with my family to Los Angeles for a couple of years uh, in my early school years. But it was uh, after we got back to Israel that I started my magic. So I, I didn't really attend any magic conferences here. I did attend a few magic shows, you know, the, the Vegas circuit. And that's sure. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen Penn and Teller, which are amazing. And, uh, you know, the David Copperfield and others, mostly on uh, television. But uh yeah, I still enjoy it to this day. Absolutely. For me, it was some movie that had trolls under a bridge. And wow. they're in the park in New York. And there's some random mime pulling coins out of the air, dropping them in a fishbowl. And then there's a fish, right? And I just Amazing. remember that to this day being like, huh, how'd you do that? Now, now I want to do that. Cynical, we're like, that's CGI or whatever. But no, it was a real magic trick. And I just remember, you know, you start with a library and you scour that and eventually you start you know, sending away for more illusions and tricks. Oh, yeah. I, I had like two full bookshelves of, of magic books at the time. Like yeah. Everything from, from coins to cards to stage illusions to... Uh, what do you prefer? You know. the, the bigger stage illusions or...? Um, at, at, I think in the final stages, I really enjoyed the sort of uh, telepathy and, and mind reading tricks. I, sure. I really enjoyed that part because uh, I think even to this day, a lot of people believe that people have these powers and they find that easier to believe that it's something supernatural beyond like if, if I make a coin disappear in this hand and appear in the other hand, you know, I'm tricking you. You right. don't believe it's teleportation. Right. But if, if you and I did a mind reading act, a lot of people would go away believing that we can read each other's minds. <laughs> um, so I think I, I like that higher level of plausibility right. uh, about that genre. And so I, I sort of meddled with that in, in my final uh, years of magic, but, but yeah, I've, I've done everything from close-up magic to stage illusions, and uh, that's it's, cool. It's all the shiny, really the, the shiny boxes are cool, but then you're right. You people can assume there's yeah. something tricky about it, even if you're like pound on this thing and make sure there's nothing tricky. They're like, it's of course, probably the, tricky. The, yeah, the, the entire show and 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 just the apparatus that you're using makes it clear that this is sort of dedicated magic equipment, and it's not uh, something that you would encounter in your daily life. Whereas uh, sort of the mind reading uh genres is it's hard to explain more natural. That, right it it's seems a lot more natural that. yes it's like i didn't do anything he didn't force me to say anything i just wrote that down like how how is that even possible i love those that sort of like panic where you're like is the world flipped upside down yep. how, how did you even do i like doing kid shows like birthday parties and and like library performances because it's almost like the kids have that innocence to them and uh, they're age, believers at a certain they're age, believers right? yeah. yeah and and i just remember one time you know we were splitting there's two other magicians i don't know if you ever heard of the society of american magicians or the sym sure. and sam and we're doing a little show and and we were all supposed to do 15 but when it got to me at the end these kids are just having a blast i remember we spent five minutes looking for my rope to do a magic trick with the rope and it wasn't even like where is it they're like behind you and i do one of those things where you turn around you can't uh -huh. find it and they're just they're losing their minds and it was all just to, to find the rope and i thought that was that was just so much fun to be with people that were just being silly and having fun you could ham it up and at the same time surprise them absolutely and you know to, to take that back into our current day and roles if, if yeah. we're able to create a fraction of that magical experience for grown-ups but yeah. instead of uh, uh you know cutting ropes and, and mending them magically together we, we give them a magical experience whether it's around buying or using our product or just interacting with our company 
that's how you create fans. That is how you create fans. And and so many companies just put that part of the experience aside and like, well, I've built this product and people need to buy it because it's the best in the category. Well, right. guess what? It doesn't work that way anymore. Right. They don't have to buy it. They have 5,000 other options. They don't care that feature number 27 is a little bit better on your product. They will never get to even learning that if you don't provide them a magical experience that they want to interact with your brand. Right. And, and B2C brands have been understanding that for a while now. You go into an Apple store, you experience the magic. Mm-hmm. You go onto Amazon, you experience the magic. You order an Uber, you experience the magic. Right. And we need to bring more of that to B2B to create those magical experiences. That's how we create fans and loyal customers and and and, and people that don't just uh, compare your featured uh that, that horrible Excel list of your oh, features yeah. against your, your competitors' features because one day you're going to be ahead, the other day they're going to be ahead. Yeah. It's a never-ending arms race. You don't, want to be, you don't want them to even open that spreadsheet. You want them to go straight to you because for two years now, you've been providing the magical experiences before even asking them for a dime. So why would they go anywhere else? It's just like you and the trekking company. Right. Why would they go anywhere else? It makes, it makes so much sense. Question then, you know, where you're at now, and I know you have to go in a little bit, so we'll now, I would probably just keep talking to you about magic for about two more hours. But, <laughs> At least. You know, we got work to do here, people. Absolutely. So, um, you know, looking back on your career so far, um, if you could get in a time machine or maybe a magical time traveling device that brought you back to the very beginning of your career, um, what would you advise yourself if you were able to go back and talk to your own self back then, knowing what you know now, what you've experienced, what would you, what would you tell yourself to do? I think the two things that I wish I had done and learned earlier are one, no matter what role you play in a company, you could be the, the really the, anything from the office manager to the support person, you have to be an expert on your product and on your buyer and on your market. So regardless of your role, you can do any role 10 times better if you really understand the environment, the marketplace, the competitors, your buyers, and your product. And that wasn't always the case for me. Um, I, I'd done an okay job in, in, in previous marketing roles without being an absolute expert on our product and market. And I wish I had taken more time to become more of an expert. I know now that I could have done a better job if I'd done that. And... Number two is just thinking about sort of my career advancement and, and seeing some of my friends and their successes and sometimes their struggles. I think you need to either, you have two options at any point in your career. You have to either give your current position everything you've got. And by everything you've got, I don't mean working around the clock because nobody wants to do that, especially not for prolonged period of time, especially if you have a family and other priorities, which is great. I do. Trust me. I have a lot going on in my life other than work. Uh, but you have to give it all, your got, all you've got mentally. When you clock into the office until you clock out and, and probably in some hours later, you have to think about how to do your position better, how to go beyond the call of duty, how to hire the best people if you're a manager, how to just do more than expected of you if you're an individual contributor, and just always want more and take things to the next level. That is how you'll get that promotion. That's how you build a personal brand. That's how your team gets a brand built around it. That's how you promote your company's business. And, and that's how you become a star and, and get job offers and, and move on. Uh, just give it all you have. The other option is if you don't find the passion to do that at your current job, you're not in the right job. Move on and find that job. 
Um, uh, yesterday, uh, Patty McCord, who was head of people at Netflix, uh, gave her uh, algorithm, as she calls it, for, for career success. She says, are what you're passionate about and extraordinarily good at something that we need someone to be really good at? And mm. if you have those three things combined, if you are passionate about something that you do really well and you find a work place that needs someone to be really good at that, that is how you skyrocket your career. If you're not in that place, move on until you find it. If for some reason you cannot move on, you're, you're stuck somewhere, just give it all you've got to make it work until you can and then move on and find that place where those three forces combine. Something you're passionate about, something you're extraordinarily good at, and something that the workplace really needs someone to be good at. When those things combine, that's where the magic happens. Man, that's where the magic happens, right? Yep. Absolutely. We've come full circle. Yeah, life's too short to not to be passionate about what you're up to. Seriously. It's a, it's a real luxury these days to be able to do that. But when you do, things, I, I feel like I haven't worked in several years. I think some people might say I haven't. But no, I feel like I'm, I'm skipping school right now or I'm somehow in, in a place. That's the, zone, that's the zone you want to be in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on here. Where can people connect with you? Um, where can they find you? Any events you've got coming up? I know you just did one, so you don't need to do one Yeah, tomorrow. we did the very big one. Yeah. We're starting planning <laughs> next year's today. But uh, on a personal level, uh, people are happy, are, are free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Udi Lettergore. That's Udi spelled U-D-I and Lettergore, L-E-D-E-R-G-O-R. I'm the only Udi Lettergore on LinkedIn and in the world, as far as I know, uh, which is a good story for a next talk. Yes. Um, so feel free to connect on uh, LinkedIn. That's where I'm uh, mostly active these days. And uh, of course, on our website, gong.io, you can see the latest and the greatest of what the company is doing. And uh, yeah, look, looking forward to connect uh, to everyone over there. Yeah, that's fantastic. And we'll put all those in the show notes for everyone that's curious. And then, you know, the real question, are you going to be at Dreamforce this year? I, I'm going to be, we're doing a lot of side events around Dreamforce. Sure. Um, we, we so far have decided that the, the main audience at Dreamforce is not our ideal buyer. So rather than just following the herd and uh, spending <laughs> a lot of money at Dreamforce. The herd too, yeah. Yep. So we're, we're going to be hijacking a lot of that audience with a big out-of-home campaign that we're doing at the Montgomery BART station and Muni station. Nice. And we're going to have 20 cars driving around wrapped in gong uh, branding <laughs> and, and lots of surprises. Uh, plus, we're doing like five or six uh, happy hours and side events that are think, I think are much, much better use of our resources of, of people, time, and money. Uh, than just setting up a big expensive booth and getting all the wrong people in the show. So, well, that's awesome. You know, maybe on one of those happy hours, I'll, I'll bring my trumpet and you can do a little jazz piano. We'll figure it's this out. It's a deal. It's a deal. Awesome. Well, Udi, thanks again. This has been fantastic. I appreciate my you pleasure, coming Casey. on here. My pleasure. Guy, thanks for having so, me. Yeah, thanks again. And everyone else out there listening, if you learn something, share this with someone and check out Gong. Be a thought leader to one other person, two other people. And, and like Udi said, go hard, max out, be passionate about what you're doing. So for everyone out there listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time. Hey.